welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing Queen of the Conquered by Case and Calendar, the first book in the Islands of Blood and Storm series. The book takes place in a Caribbean-inspired fantasy world that follows our main character, Sigourney, as she makes a bid for power as the only black islander in contention to rule the islands that have been colonized by the White Fjern. When all those in line to the throne are gathered for the storm season and start to be killed off one by one, chaos ensues, as it does. (laughs) It's kind of like Colonizer Clue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of. This episode comes with a content warning for discussions of rape and violence. Initial reactions. I went in with no expectations. And I think that that was a good thing because Calendar is really subverting some fantasy genre tropes and playing with readers' assumptions about power and complicity. This book is nece- unnecessarily challenging read, given the content about enslavement. I think it, it, you know, depicts it very respectfully without being, you know, just about like the spectacle of violence that was the experience of enslavement. It's not YA. I think it's a good book to discuss, but it wasn't like a fun book to read. Yeah, like I still don't know what I think of this book, and I finished it like <laughs> two weeks ago. I think because I don't really like the main character Sigourney, I had trouble connecting with this book, but I love the exploration of power and privilege we see playing out in the story. And I'm really interested to see what happens in the next book, King of the Rising, because I am much more interested in the enslaved people who have been pulled, who have pulled off a massive uprising throughout the story. So like this really was like the precursor to that. And so now I'm like, oh, I want to see the next story because I want to see them and see what they do with like their new power. Couldn't agree more. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. The fictional world is inspired... Lady! <laughs> I hope that meow makes it into the recording. Oh, uh, let me... <laughs> just one second. Let me let her out because she's going to meow for like ever. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> in... Queen of the Rising, we have a fictional world inspired by the Caribbean It's Queen region. of the Conquered. Shit. Queen, Queen of the, the Conquered. I just like portmanteaued. <laughs> <laughs> in Queen of the Conquered, we have a fictional world inspired by the Caribbean region, as you mentioned at, in, at the top of the episode in the summary. Uh, I believe the author is from the U.S. Virgin Islands. So from the straight from the start, we have um, coloniality right at the forefront, which is also going with race, which is also with class. And so I think we're really going to, this is like, going to be a super intersectional discussion necessarily that has some challenges about it is like how to separate it into sections but we'll figure it out (laughs) have you read any other books by case and calendar no but i didn't know that they had written felix ever after oh i forgot that as well (laughs) i haven't read it maybe next season even though it's not fantasy I didn't realize that they were from the the Virgin Islands. So that's really interesting and brings a whole new outlook on the story. In this world, we have white slave owners and black slaves on the islands of Hans Lolik. The Congolese are the ruling class and they are all white and called the Fjern, um, with the exception of Sigourney, who is an islander and black, but she is also a slave owner. 
um, and her family. I wasn't really clear about like how her family came to be part of the Congolese, but her whole family was like murdered <laughs> because they were black and had power. Um, so we kind of see that throughout the story and we see Sigourney like working through that and trying not to be a terrible person as a slave owner, but also being a terrible person as a slave owner. <laughs> yeah, lots of tension there. I thought it was interesting that the white folks are from are called the Fiern, and then it sort of reminded me of like Fierda from yeah. Lee Bardugo's books, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Grishaverse stuff. And so I'm I'm curious what the it must be like some sort of linguistic route that has to do with Scandinavia or something because otherwise it wouldn't be in multiple places at once. Yeah, and I'm also not a hundred percent sure who. like who colonized the Virgin Islands like I'm not very aware of that history so it might have something to do with that if this is supposed to be like a comparison to that colonization like whoever colonized there well there I know that the so like the Dutch is who shows up as the lots of these words are taken from Dutch like the Mm -hmm. Congolese and the Conga Valdemar or whatever like these people are (laughs) I listened to the audiobook, so I was just like having to go back and try and look up how things were spelled or like just sound them out because I was like, I have no idea what these words are. It helped me that I was able to see it because the visual, visually, Dutch doesn't look that different from German a lot of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same with like Afrikaans, which is the, you know, variation of Dutch they speak in South Africa or what's now mm-hmm. called South Africa. So yeah, it's like Conga is like König, which is means king. Mm. Oh, okay. I see. That's definitely a part of the world building linguistic, which I like usually. Of course. But this <laughs> was like, it was mimicking like the colonizer names mm-hmm. and everything. I put this down in Kill Your Darling, so I might as well just talk about it now. That I thought the colonizer place names were really clunky and I just would prefer to do away with them altogether. Yeah, it was really hard for me because I was like, a lot of the places were really similar. Like Hans Lolik was very, um, very close to like Hans Luna which I think was the island that Sigourney was on because they're like all have like their different islands or whatever. Um, So for me, like listening to it, I'm glad I listened to it because I think if I read this, I would have no idea. But the first time I like wrote out Fjern before I like saw it written down, I was like F-U-E-R-N. I was like, I have no idea how this word is spelled. And it's like F-J-E-R-N. And I was like, oh my God, this is why I'm like having so much trouble. (laughs) But it was like nice to listen to the audiobook because you can like hear how the words are said. And some of the names as well. Yeah, because there was a lot of like last name and title yeah. stuff. So it's like very court intrigue sort of informal. Or even like Loren. I was like, is it spelled like Lauren? Like I I was very confused a lot. Oh, I was thinking Lauren <laughs> in my head, but okay, good to know. Yeah, yeah. The audiobook really helps for that, which I also always find to be the case when like there's a language other than English in a book because I don't speak any other language, at least not well enough to to say that I speak another language (laughs) so yeah audiobook it was really good and it was really well read um I really enjoyed it good performance yeah back to through the wardrobe (laughs) (laughs) we've been talking about it the whole time right (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of yes yes we have the gods of the Furin versus the ancestors of the island which is kind of like Christianity versus the religions of the enslaved people enslaved Africans that we kind of see play out in the united states with like voodoo and hoodoo and people bringing in their religions and in this story we see like the the religion of the enslaved people is like 
not allowed to be practiced and people are like practicing it like hiding it you know which is Mm -hmm. kind of like where we see voodoo and hoodoo come from is like the blending of two religions um so i thought that was really interesting i agree with you a hundred percent another thing that i thought uh calendar does really well is showing how the religious systems are actually hallmarks of like altogether different worldviews and the impact that this relationship has to people's magic like as a metaphor for like their power quite literally and how it's used the islanders in their like ancestral traditions believe in spirits and then think of people with craft as people who are blessed but we see that like the the people from cronin's crick or something i don't know like the, oh i think the it's fear. collins crick collins okay, collins cool. crick thank you that's like mm-hmm. the, the place name where the fierne are from mm-hmm. question yeah. mark okay thank you yes versus like that vision of what power is is like oh it's something to be really controlled and that means we have to control others too i really liked how it shows how people learn to use their powers in certain ways as in like we're trained and the examples Mm -hmm. around us matter a lot i liked how calendar was really establishing this connection between the religious systems and also like in in spanish i like the word cosmo cosmovision you know because it has like cosmos in it like worldview (laughs) yeah you know but like more than a worldview it's like how you are viewing your relationships with all of your with everyone around you not just like human beings other than human beings also Mm -hmm. yeah i really liked i think that calendar did a really good job of like showing the religious aspects of the story and i think set up the world in a way that like I don't know, the world building was done really well in a way that I felt like I understood, like, how things worked, like, what the dynamics were between, like, characters from different backgrounds. We, I think we do only get, like, these two, like, there's just a dichotomy there where we just get, like, the Fjern and then the Islanders. So I'm interested to see if we'll see people come in from, like, other worldviews um, in what, King of the Rising is the next book. <laughs> Wands out. Let's discuss all things magic. In the story, we have the craft, which is the different magical abilities. And there's kind of a wide range on what people can do. So white people think that they're the only ones who should have it. And then they kill the islanders who have the magical powers or who have the craft. But only if they're enslaved people. So obviously, Sigourney is the exception to that because she is in a position of power. She's technically one of the Congoli, I guess and she, she like marries into them she marries that Axel dude who is like oh the worst I mean not the worst there are worse people but like he's pretty terrible yeah so they're just like killing children who have magical powers including Sigourney herself who was like killing people who have magical powers like other black people yeah I think that was a very important decision on the author's part to put that that was one of the first scenes in the book right yeah, Sigourney has this has this girl executed. I mean, it makes sense, kind of. I think it, maybe it's meant to be a metaphor for like you know how what is that metaphor about like reaching back to like help people come up with you and like Sigourney is like taking the ladder <laughs> and like breaking it to pieces and is like no, just me, <laughs> which I do think we see sometimes in even like in the United States, like with black people who have power and who are like all about respectability politics and like recognition from the state yeah exactly ben carson we're looking at you (laughs) so 
the problem is I don't like Sigourney particularly. So I'm like, God, you're a terrible person. Like you're up there on par with the Fjern. But I think we're supposed to see that as like a, you know, maybe help those who don't have power if you're coming from a similar background or whatever. And Sigourney is not doing that at all, but is pretending like that's what she wants to do. Yeah, she's pretending that her power doesn't come from complicity with the system that enslaves people who look exactly like her. Which is why the slaves rebel against her as well as the fear. <laughs> Which is why she's used as a pawn. I love, I fucking love the twist. That was really That's good. I did part. not see that coming. Which is exactly the point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> talking about like the magic of the islands we see that some people have the craft and some people don't and that their abilities are really different Sigourney can enter people's minds and see their thoughts slash memories and she can control people's bodies but we also see that there are some limits to the power most of them have so Sigourney can't enter Laurent's mind without his permission which is probably like a sign to her that she should get people's permissions before she like <laughs> invades their minds or whatever like exactly I don't know some consent issues at play with Sigourney. Actually, a ton of them. So many, so many. Yeah, because Marieka, or is that how you pronounce it? Please correct me. Uh, Marika. Marika. All right. Excellent. Glad you're here. Role reversal. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so weird. <laughs> um, like, that's the only Black Islander that Sigourney, like, had granted personhood to. Mm -hmm. You know? And that was, so that was the only one who she didn't rifle through their minds. Without, without her permission. Consent. Yeah. And the only reason she didn't do it to the other enslaved folks was because she was scared of what she would find. Which you know, so more like leads more to her downfall. Centering <laughs> her own comfort. Yeah, exactly. Because she's like worried that they don't love her. And I'm like, of course they don't love you. You're fucking slave owner, dude. Like, <laughs> what? Let's like, once you realize that fact, we'll be able to like actually maybe do something. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that like um like while she doesn't enter Marika's mind and Marika is technically like a free person, she doesn't have any other options, which is kind of like what Lorraine points out to Sigourney, like towards the end of the novel, like, yes, Marika is free, but like where was she gonna go? Like what was she gonna do? Like you didn't you freed her but gave her no options as to what she can do or be. So like she's still fucked, you know? <laughs> I hate you, Sigourney. <laughs> <laughs> the magical system of queen of the conquered really has me questioning this mind body separation that is totally a, like an import of quote unquote like western european thought like descartes you know i think therefore i am that sort of shit and what you're saying describing sigourney's powers I, off of that i think it's interesting that all of the powers are mental slash emotional slash physiological like they they seem to be more mental, but they also have physiological effects. So just like shows you how it's a body mind, you know, that like this dualism doesn't really work. But like the people don't carry phenotypic signs. It's just when they use their craft and make people do things that like that's the actual manifestation of it. It's not like in some of the other fantasy books where that's marked with like if you have white hair, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. like, like in, in um, Children of Blood books. and Bone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. some other some of the other powers that we had were causing pain, uh, having control over fear, forcing people to tell the truth, and then obviously Sigourney's powers, like you described, which is like yeah. and hyper then, empathy almost, like yeah. And then the person at the end is funny because I now I don't remember her name, but there's like the character at the end. She's a slave, and she's like 
created this like false world where like the king is alive. Angela. What is that? Angela. Of course, of all the names I couldn't remember, it was fucking Angela. <laughs> like, anyways, yeah. So Angela's like created this whole fake world where the king's alive, the his palace or whatever is not in ruins. She's like controlling what everyone sees. Well, what all the like Congolese see. And Sigourney is like on the periphery of that where she knows something is wrong by the way that the, you know, fake king is behaving. But she's like always like tiptoeing around it because she doesn't think that like the other black people have power or could trick her or do anything really. Right. Which leads to her downfall. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wands away. away. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. Definitely the Furin because mm-hmm. they have colonized the islands and enslaved the people, but also Sigourney, who is willing to enslave her own people in order to have power, and she's not really willing to give that power up or make any changes. She keeps saying she's going to like free people once she has more power but it's always like she needs more and more and more like she definitely could have freed them when on just like Hans Luna which is like the island that she is on like ugh, she's just like terrible there's there's so many villains in this story like the story really revolves around the villains which is maybe why I'm excited to read the next book where Mm -hmm. we'll see more from like the heroes yeah we just we've done so much exploring all of those types of villainy and and stuff but i think that one thing that this book does really well is that it like puts the pieces together and lets you see how it all fits and then creates this big racial capital capitalist system and like is actually grappling with what's necessary to take something this big down and complicity is one of the ways that it gets upheld uh, mm-hmm. So I appreciate how um, Calendar is getting their hands dirty with this sort of thing and making the reader by proxy do that too. Um, it's been a really thought-provoking book for me, honestly. Yeah, I agree. There's so many murders, like Colonizer Clue. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I made that up yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate how honest Calendar's direct uh, depiction of revolution is. Like violence is a tactic, and so colonizers aren't the only one who should get to use it. I mean, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. And the enslaved people are really like, let's just trick them all and take over. And it, I mean, it works. And they're willing to make those sacrifices, which I imagine were not easy decisions to make. (laughs) Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about race, class, gender, and ability, and other things. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. So let's start with race, as we do. (laughs) There's just so much with race going on in this story. Sigourney is black, but plays by the rules of the white people in the hopes to achieve their status to the detriment of her own people. And Sigourney refers to those slaves like a monolith. They're all the same to her, but she always knows that she's not like them. So much of this book is tied up in race and class and coloniality. And I think Calendar does a really good job of like balancing those all out and talking about them in their different ways, but also how they like intersect with each other. Yeah, I don't think it really makes sense to like have the different segments even in this mini segments in this segment because it's just like everything is so interwoven together and 
I appreciate that discussing this book is pushing back on the ways that we've chosen to divide things up because it's showing that like, yeah, those divisions are also, you know, diaphanous at best. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One book that is really coming to mind for me right now, like helping me make sense of Queen of the Conquered is Sammy Schalk's work. She is a professor of women and gender studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, I think. And she wrote the book Body Minds Reimagined. What's it called? What's the subtext? Disability, Race, and Gender in Black Women's Speculative Fiction. And so she, a lot of uh, writing is about Octavia Butler. And one of Octavia Butler's protagonists in Parable for the Sower is someone who has hyper-empathy. So Schalke spends a lot of time looking at how this is like both is and isn't a disability and how it's used. I highly recommend Schalke's analysis, like always pushing me to be more nuanced and really looking at the ways that disability, this slash ability and race and gender are all like coming together all the time. Also, Sammy Schalke is excellent on Twitter. Highly recommend the follow. <laughs> She's the twerk with Lizzo professor. Oh, I don't know okay. if you yeah, saw I that. Who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of explorations of whiteness that we see are really tied up in racial capitalism. Like this idea of what whiteness is, is very based on value in the property sense. And then also we're seeing how the values of whiteness and its motivations can be internalized by people of color. We see that with, that's like a big, one of the big things that Sigourney is letting Calendar explore. Mm -hmm. I like this, this quote from page 159. The pale-skinned Fjern also are often believe that they deserve so much. And why shouldn't they? They're told they own the world from the moment they're born, brought wailing into this world and put into the smiling, their smiling mother's arms rather than taken away and sold to the highest bidder. If I'd been told as a child that I deserve to own all I see, maybe I would believe it too. But it's because I haven't been told this, and they have, that I'll succeed over them. This I know, because while they sit and wait to be handed this world, I'll work and I'll fight for my position. I'll succeed while they wait for me to fail. So this is like Sigourney's expo, you know, seeing her try to convince herself that she's different because of her, like one part of her identity, when in reality she's complicit with all of these structures of violence. And Lauren is pushing back on her being like, if you were at the top, you would just be like a reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting because I think Sigourney sees herself as different from the Fjern, but obviously is very much the same as them <laughs> with the main difference being that their skin color is different but she she actually does treat the world as if like well my mom was in power so I also like I deserve these things because of how I was born like the position I was born into which is the same thing she's like attributing to the Fjern so good job Sigourney not realizing your own (laughs) hypocrisies (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like I mean I don't know if I have anything else I just, I just feel like so many black scholars and indigenous scholars and I don't know, formerly colonized peoples and all this stuff, you know, they just have done so much work talking about this and fighting back against it and just like agitating for changes. And this book is definitely an invitation to keep learning, I guess. And I guess real quick on gender, um, I know like everything is kind of like all tied up with each other within this story. So we don't really like break it down into the sections, but I do think we see like gender as less important in this story in that it doesn't seem to matter like they're crowning like the next king but it doesn't seem like it has to be a man who is like the next person in charge which I appreciated now 
Sigourney did need to marry into a family because I think her family wasn't like officially part of the Congolese or something like that. Plus, everyone thought she was dead. But it does seem like in this story, and one of the things I appreciated, and I think we kind of see this from Sigourney herself, is that like the women can be just as bad as the men, which I think is something that gets ignored a lot in like history of like early America of enslaved people of like white women being complicit in slavery and like it just never gets mentioned as if they didn't exist or if they existed in such a position that like they didn't own slaves so (laughs) I really appreciated that this story was like women can be villains too and they also did bad things right that's pushing back against this like oh if I had lived during that time I would have done it Mm -hmm. differently and then and then I think calendar is being like really would you yeah and the answer is no, you wouldn't. Like, read a history book. Lots of white women also owned slaves. Yeah. I don't know if people know that or not. Read Stamp from the beginning. It was such an eye-opener on some things. Like, obviously, I knew some women had owned slaves, but lots of new knowledge in there for me and others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, as far as ability and disability go, there was a lot. I mean, w- anytime you're dealing with enslavement, you're basically doing, like, mass debilitation and disablement you know and so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of we see the repercussions of all of the you know torture and we see lynching scenes and we see um suicidality i just uh, appreciated that calendar didn't like shy away from any of that especially because it's like an adult fantasy book you know and i think that's one of the reasons why the the treatment of not treatment but like the way calendar designed this world and wrote the book i think that they're nuanced and i appreciate seeing like speculative fiction fantasy whatever used as like this venue for the thought experiment of revolution and what it takes and stuff finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about asexuality sexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own I ship literally no one. Sigourney is terrible. We see her raping her slaves and attempting to rape Loren. Frederick is in love with Sigourney, but that relationship is fucked from the beginning. And then he's murdered by Loren. It was just like a clusterfuck, I guess. I don't want anyone to... And then she marries Axel for like power reasons. Like it's a political marriage. After like tricking his mom into being okay with the marriage. Like, yeah, I just ship no one. I just want to see like all the enslaved people like come to power and just like murder all the furin. Like that's fine by me at this point. <laughs> I also ship no one for all the reasons you mentioned. We are truly shipwrecked. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that, I think is because the book is like really exploring like to what kind, like what kinds of love and affection are possible while there is enslavement to what extent love and affection are possible while they're in a situation of enslavement or like ownership. Spoiler, like not much most of the time. And sometimes it's complicated, but like, is it? Yeah. The, the relationship with Frederick was like really complicated. I think especially because we do see that he obviously like is in love with Sigourney. And I guess we see that because Sigourney goes into his mind of all people, but we also see that she's often like using him as a source of comfort, like through sex and, I don't know. He like he's a slave, so he has to have sex with her even when she doesn't want to. And the book doesn't really I mean the book does deal with the fact that that's rape when we see it from like Loren's point of view, but I think one of the things that Calendar does really well is show that like men are not the only people who commit the act of rape and like while I wish no one committed 
rape. No one raped other people. Like, I think it's important that we see that, like, there are different ways that that happens. And power is one of those ways. Like, when you can't say no, Mm -hmm. like, that is rape. Yeah. Consent. Yeah. Consent is very important. (laughs) I appreciated that Calendar put this in the story because we do see, like, a woman taking advantage of her power, which I don't think we get to see very often. She writes a really good villain. Excuse me. They write a really good villain. On page 263, we get a little hint that colonizer society has criminalized homosexuality. And this is just very on brand. Criminalize anything deviant that's considered deviant from like your tiny norm. And then use that to then after the fact justify the terrible things that you do in order to maintain that hierarchy status quo that was like imposed and fake to begin with. So yeah calendar mapped the power dynamics really well onto the fantasy world without it being like too much or just like too just like too easy of an allegory or something like that what do you think I definitely agree with that and I think it wasn't like sometimes I feel like when the these things get mapped on to the fantasy world they can be like a little wonky almost where you understand what they're doing but it just like doesn't fit into place very well and I feel like this everything fit into its place in this story and it still felt like well fleshed out and I think sometimes that can be missing but Calendar did a really good job of fleshing everything out in such a way that it all makes sense without like going over the top sometimes I think we get maybe too much backstory and that's Mm. what like pulls you out and makes it feel a little off but Calendar did a good job of keeping it to the like the specific islands of Hans Lolik and not like trying to make the world sometimes I think that maybe they make the like authors will make the world too big so because we are staying in this like very specific place it makes it a little easier to transfer those things onto the story definitely now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in the segment called kill your darlings more exposition than dialogue I think this impacted my reading experience. Sometimes really long paragraphs. I felt like I was slogging through the text a bit at times. And I think one of the reasons for that is because of like the type of narrative device that was being used. So Sigourney's craft, which is like super empath or something, gives her access to others' feelings and memories and thoughts. And since the story is narrated from her perspective, her powers make her like narrative voice feel semi-omniscient. But the reason that she is semi-omniscient is because she's like violating other people's privacy and minds um, in order to gain that information. I thought that some of the like branches into, you know, whoever she's talking, she's like looking at, and then they'll branch off for two pages about something that happened to them in their childhood. And I get that it's like helpful for characterization to a certain degree, but I also felt myself being like, okay, let's move the, let's move it along. What did you think about this? I think maybe because I listened to the audiobook, it was a little like easier to get through because I listened on two times the speed as I do. So it goes like a bit faster. I do think if I had been reading this, this would have been a slow read for me. Not because I disliked it, but just because there's just like a lot going on. And I do think for me, because I don't really speak other languages, I think the non-English words would have really tripped me up a lot. I think that would have slowed me down um, trying to be like, what is this word like what does this mean again because it for me it's like really easy to forget those kind of things like I know like it's set up at the beginning but then you you kind of just like have to remind yourself but yeah there's a lot of like flashbacks which aren't always my favorite and those are done like through the memories of other people and sometimes through Sigourney's memory 
But yeah, I would say it was like definitely a slower read, even at two times the speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say that the narrator had like an accent, like a Caribbean accent. And so if you listen to it on one times the speed, it is so slow. And I think they did that because of the accent to like help American readers, listeners. <laughs> but I didn't find the <laughs> I didn't find like the accent difficult to understand. So I don't know why it was so like it was just like so slow. Like I think I even bumped it up to like two point three. <laughs> also like the island like lilt is slower. Yeah, maybe you know? that it's supposed to be, but I was just like, it's wow, like this musical is really in a different slow. way, you know, than like <laughs> yeah. us talking on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it was just like so slow. I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot imagine listening to this at one times the speed. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I think I really love this story, but I wasn't a fan of all the characters, as I mentioned. Usually with the books we read for the podcast, we're following a character we, the reader, are supposed to like and connect with. And that was really difficult to do with Sigourney. She made so many bad decisions, and many of those decisions were for her own personal interests while leaving the concerns of her people, her community, out of the narrative she painted of herself. It felt like a new reading experience to follow along with the story in this way. I appreciate it it as something different and I'm interested in reading Loren's story to see how everything happens after the uprising but I think if it was another story from Sigourney's perspective I'm not sure I would want to read that story because I don't really like her yeah but it was fun to read something with a main character that I disliked because they were actually a bad person as opposed to like I didn't really like Alina in Shadow and Bone but she wasn't like a terrible person she just was like blah so it was mm-hmm. interesting to read a story where you're following a villain along. Not my favorite reading experience, but it was like something new. So maybe I'd get, you know, more comfortable reading it in the future. I like how you spun that as it's like a different reading experience. Because I agree with that. It was something, there was like something defamiliarizing in a way, but also like makes it seem closer. Being like, oh yeah, those decisions that she's making, like I can see why they're she's making them, even if they go against my values or whatever. Yeah, just like, characterization on point yeah characterizing a villain you know like or someone who's (laughs) complicit or someone who you would you know who tries to convince themselves that they aren't a villain and they're trying to be the heroine of their own story which is that was very apparent in here just like how hard she was trying Sigourney was trying to make that a reality and just that like I don't know if we don't need like more oppressor here heroic oppressor stories you know so I appreciate that this is like the downfall of an oppressor Yeah. So obviously I read a lot of YA or romance when romances don't normally have too much of a villain going on. So maybe like more adult books are like this, like adult fantasy. And I haven't read that many. So that might be part of that experience. Like it's just a new experience altogether. (laughs) I guess we'll see with our next book. Maybe we're following a villain again, but I have no idea. (laughs) Recommend if you like. Um, I would say Django Unchained for like uprising badass slave narratives that are not, you know, painting the oppressor as like people who did enslave people because, you know, for like some good reasons or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say Kindred by Octavia Butler. Yeah, I have agreed. only read the graphic novel, but it was really good. And I think it gives a more realistic depiction of slavery than we normally see in media. And I would also say Game of Thrones because like from Sigourney's perspective, this is very Game of Thrones esque. <laughs> yeah. Fight for the for the crown, I guess, you know? Pretty much. 
Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept, costume, concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? Since you wrote nothing in this section, I'm guessing I'll take it away. I have nothing. Take it away. (laughs) (laughs) There's a quote that I want to read, and it's from a part of the part of the story where Marika is describing her partner's beliefs. He believed that finding our joy was the only way our people could survive. Even in the face of pain, the hardships we endured, we had to remember our joy, our laughter, and the love we had for one another. It's on page 191. It reminds me of pleasure activism. Definitely comes out of Audre Lorde's work on the erotic. Lots of other black women who have been doing this work for a long time. And Adrienne Marie Brown is someone who's doing it currently. And I love her books and her blog and stuff. And she has a... um, There's a quote that I think resonates with this point that Marika is describing. And so AMB's quote is, where we are born into privilege, we are charged with dismantling any myth of supremacy. Where we are born into struggle, we are charged with claiming our dignity, joy, and liberation. There's just a lot of discourse about this, especially like on social media right now. So I wanted to put it out there on the table and see what your thoughts were. Yeah. Oh, let me think about this for a second. Yeah, I didn't. (laughs) I don't have like conclusions. I mostly just brought questions. This is what happens when I don't read the show notes before we... (laughs) I love surprising you. It's great. I just like to be surprised and it's like reaction in the moment, you know? It's more authentic. Authenticity is the brand. Yeah. It's hard because for Marika's partner from the beginning of the story, it almost feels like, um, what do they call it? Like toxic positivity where they're like, you just have to see the good in things, like even from a bad situation and... While I do believe that's true to some extent, I don't know. It's like a mix of things where it's like, yes, you should find joy where possible. And I think that can be a lot more difficult as a marginalized group, obviously. And especially being part of, you know, one of the more marginalized groups. But at the same time, it's really hard. Okay, so I probably informed a little bit by the fact that I'm, I'm a little bit of a pessimist. (laughs) I like to say I try and find the good in things but I don't really (laughs) and to me sometimes I'm like you just have to be realistic about your situation and if it's bad like how do you change that Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah that's yeah what do you think there's such a tension you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's really important that white folks think about this because um, I struggle with this and I think that's the point Right. Is that if I were all about exercising all of my power all the time, like then I'd be the devourer and that's shitty. Yeah, it is very much a tension of taking up space, but not too much space. And I think that always being mindful of that as a white person is crucial. You know, when to step up, when to step back, when to pass the mic, those sorts of things. And it's like it's a constant process of discernment and then also accountability when I fuck up. Mm -hmm. I think it's more fraught for me just like having this conversation with you because of, you know, my sites of privilege that are different from yours. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's hard because I, you know, I really think it's important, especially like as a person of color, as a black person to express like our happiness and our joy. Like that is like when you see like the posts, like hashtags, you know, like for black boy joy or black girl magic, like those are really important because I think it is important to show people that like, like people within our own community that there can be joy and there can be happiness even from within the struggle. But sometimes when I think it's 
done for the white gaze g-a-z-e <laughs> um thank you black af i think that can is where it becomes difficult because i think sometimes showing that joy and happiness for the sake of that gaze is sometimes what keeps us in the struggle a little bit I don't know this one's really difficult for me I just mm, I feel like if you feel joy then you should do that and like express that but I don't want to do it just because you know what I mean like yeah I don't want to feel like it's a responsibility of me to be happy and joyful for the sake of like white people you know Mm, (laughs) right so I think that's like where the differentiation is like within our own community it's like really important to have those points of joy and happiness and show that that's possible for ourselves but I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it for like white people (laughs) yeah exactly and that's where it can get hard right and especially I think for white women who are in such Mm -hmm. proximity to power a lot of the time Mm-hmm. and to weaponize white feminism for those and feminism has been weaponized for that for like many many centuries yeah you know and like even I'm if not it's not called that, like, that but like it's, yeah but like yeah so anyway I, I was just thinking about like who gets like what kinds of pleasure and why and yeah I just think it's important to be interrogating all the time you know at least for me yeah also more of a pest I'm also a bit more of a pessimist so I'm with you on there there's another uh passage that i think is thought-provoking that i want to put out in this section on page 323 ligori ligori ligorny name should there be a ship (laughs) sigourney to to loren you've never seen freedom i tell him yet you imagine it whenever you can i don't know why i'm different he says but i do know that i am And so it's my responsibility to imagine something others can't see and to show it to them. That was my favorite passage, favorite sentence from the entire book. I just like really stuck with me. I don't know. You just imagine something others can't see and then you show it to them. It's very much reminds me of the the, um, whole project of abolition. Who was the person that said that like abolition means the only thing that has to change is everything? Mm, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's Ruthie Wilson Gilmore or something. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes since I'm editing. But yeah, I just, I think that this really reminded me also of like the story weaver, like Malik in Songs of Wraiths and Ruin. A Song of Wraiths and Ruin? Yes. You got it. You got got it. it. I got it. I said Wraiths (laughs) twice. (laughs) The necessity of these sorts of things. Like there are alternatives and some people it's, their job is to vision it for people who can't see it yet. That's such an optimistic worldview. I think you're an optimist at heart. <laughs> a bit more of a romantic and an optimist yeah, than Jesse, probably. Just, just a tad. This is like a, a depressed and anxious academic who can't turn the pessimism <laughs> off. <laughs> Thanks oh, for listening. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I oh, oh, so, so sorry. Go sorry. ahead. Sorry. I didn't write it in there. Okay. <laughs> this book, Queen of the Conquered. Really making me think about my whiteness. Really making me being like, don't get into your white guilt, Kelly. Don't center yourself. That's not fucking about you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, I just want to admit that and be real about it. And then also say that something that is helping me with that is Dr. Resma Menachem's work, specifically his book, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. Resma Menachem is a social worker and somatics practitioner. And his whole deal is like about dismantling this idea of white body supremacy, which is something that people can hold within themselves no matter what race they are. 
so yeah there's like exercises in it and it's not easy to do it or anything but i appreciate it's like not spiritual bypassing which i like and i don't know it just is a way to like get into your body and feel what all of this like actually where it begins like where it originates and it originates within ourselves anyway yeah just putting that out there i'm appreciating this tool Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter and Instagram at The Library Coven. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading and The Library Coven, and you can contact us via email at thelibrarycoven at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the Library Coven. How many times have we said the Library Coven in this end stuff? <laughs> as many as possible. Yeah, that's Don't right. forget our name. <laughs> uh, you can subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and also spread the word to other rad folks out there who you think would enjoy it. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee um, so we can make coffee at home. <laughs> uh, you can support us monthly on patreon in exchange for minisodes bonus apps swag and much more one day <laughs> access to the discord yeah that's right the discord that's right that's the best part and you can support the show by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page kelly is recording on cheyenne ute and arapaho land jesse is recording on peoria kaskakia payankasha Weya. Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. Until next time, stay magical.